From Muhlenberg College, this is 2400 Chew. Your host is Megan Keita. In each episode of this podcast, we talk to one Muhlenberg graduate about their current work and the industry in which that work is done. For this episode, Megan spoke with Maggie Robertson, class of 2013. Maggie is an actor and voiceover artist. As we do with most of these interviews, the conversation began by asking how and when Maggie became interested in her occupation. I really fell into this aspect of the industry. I don't know if these were jobs that I even had an awareness had an awareness existed until I moved to LA and then kind of landed this job by accident or not by accident, but by, by chance, by luck. I had just graduated. I did a master's degree in classical acting from Lambda and I had just graduated and moved to LA January of 2019 and was self-submitting myself to various different breakdowns on these casting breakdown websites that you can pay for in order to have access to auditions. And I was pretty much indiscriminately submitting myself for things because I wasn't in a position to be picky. And I found this breakdown that seemed to be in alignment with what my skill set was as an actor and my background within Shakespeare. And they were looking for somebody tall. And that was exciting to me because so often my height is a thing that prevents me from booking a role. And this was the first time that my height was actually an asset in me booking this job. So I submitted to that. I got invited to audition. And then from there, got invited to come back for a callback. And then months later, eventually got the call that I booked the job. And the job happened to be Resident Evil Village. So a major video game franchise. I didn't even know that I was doing performance capture when I was auditioning. It was only once I showed up. I I think I, I was so naive about the whole thing. And I guess ignorance is bliss because also I didn't have an awareness of what the stakes were as well. So it allowed me to go into it with, I think, a degree of freedom. There's obviously you want to be able to do your job well. And this is a very new thing that I was tackling, but I wasn't worried about what this could do for my career. I wasn't thinking about what happens after this. I was so focused on this is a brand new thing I'm attempting to do. Let's just make sure. I'm doing my job and doing a good job. (laughs) Um, So my only thought process was don't mess up. (laughs) Don't make a fool of yourself. Don't be an embarrassment and do your job. So that's how I got into it and fell in love with it kind of immediately. I often characterize my time in the volume. That's what they call the space that you film mocap and performance capture in. And I often describe it as kind of a lightning bolt moment for me. It really was one of those things that the second I got into the volume, I felt immediately that this is what I needed to be doing. It was kind of the perfect blend of all of my different background and experiences. It is this blend of theater and on camera. You have the really close-up technical component where you're wearing these head cameras and you're dealing with all these different technical elements that are new. So that was a part of the new language that I was learning while I was on set. But then the core piece of it is really akin to theater where you're essentially working in the round and in a black box, 
experience where you don't have sets, you don't have hair, makeup, costume pieces, anything to tell, to help you tell this story outside of yourself, your body, your physicality, and your access to your own imagination. If you can't endow the world as real, then audiences aren't going to believe it's real either. It has to live within you physically. So that to me felt really similar and really fun too, because that gets down to the the sense of play that I think is at the root of acting and why all of us wanted to become actors in the first place is to revert back to childhood a little bit. That's why we fell in love with it. We're just playing pretend and playing make-believe. And I am very lucky to get to call that my job now. I am aware of the character you were playing and that it was like a big pop culture moment. I am aware of that, but I am not personally within the video game world. So like I have not played a video game since I had Super Nintendo way back in the day. So if you could kind of explain for listeners who are like me, what you knew about this game going into it, what you knew about your character, what your expectations were, if any, it sounds like you didn't have any for how big of a deal this would be. And then talk about how big of a deal it was and the attention you got for that particular role. Video games are a funny one. Either you really know it and are super impressed by it, or you have no awareness of it whatsoever. And it's been so funny to try to communicate to people, especially family members who don't play or are a little bit older and don't quite understand the culture and the world that exists within video games, just how much of an impact this role and this video game has in in pop culture. And... The character that I played, Lady Demetrask, is a nine foot six vampire, vampiric lady. And she went viral before the game even came out, which is an interesting moment of time for me because I was still under NDA. So I was watching my character kind of pop off and become this cultural sensation, a cultural sensation that permeated across mediums. She She transferred into pop culture and not just video game culture, which is what I think was so unique about what happened with her and so unexpected. So I was kind of watching this whole thing happen from the dark corners of my room and unable to tell anyone that it was me, unable to talk about it, you know, friends, family, nobody knew. And I was simultaneously, I have a lot of friends that are gamers. So I was on these text threads with my friends who are looking forward to the game and talking about this character and how hot she is or whatever. And I'm like, huh, that's me, (laughs) but nobody knows. And I even had a friend after the game came out, he texted me afterwards. He was like, I can't believe it. I've been simping over this character for months. And now I found out that it's you and it's so awkward. (laughs) And... (laughs) So that was a little bit of the weirdness around her big blow up is that I was kind of operating in silence. And then, of course, the pressure comes where, yes, my character has gone viral, but now my performance has to measure up to all of the hype and it has to do service to the hype and not fall flat. So that was kind of the nerve wracking bit of once the game came out, I was kind of waiting to see, oh, no. Are people still going to like her? What's the dealio going to be? But yeah, so she's she really was kind of unique in that way, in the way in which she 
permeated pop culture outside of just video games and has really popped off in a way that I don't know if we've seen another video game character pop off like that. And she means a lot to people. I think that was one of the things that was so remarkable about her is I think it was refreshing for audiences to be able to see certain components that are more reflective of themselves in this character. She's an older, curvy, mature woman. She is unapologetically herself. She doesn't uh, suffer fools, I guess is the polite way to say that. So I think that there's a lot that people really uh, empathize with and resonate with them within this character outside of just her looks. So that's been really fun to see and touching to experience having fans reach out to me to tell me how much she means to them and by extension, I mean to them and how much me and this character have been able to change their lives. I think when you're an actor, you expect, you kind of expect that the productions or the projects that you're a part of or the roles that you play will have an effect on people. But I don't know if I ever stopped to think about how I, as the vessel through which these characters and projects flow have an effect on people that I, Maggie, me personally can also be a source of inspiration and change and good in the world and the power that I would have as a person, not just the power that the art that I would create would have. Can you describe a typical day for you when you're in the auditioning stage and a typical day for you when you're in the on a job stage? Lol, I don't know if an actor has a typical day. You might have plans for your day, but then an audition will come in and you will stop those plans and do that audition or do what you need to do. Um, so I tend to record auditions in the morning is what I'm finding. It also allows me, I think I have to kind of trick myself so that I'm not dwelling too much on the audition and overthinking it. So I purposely record mine maybe an hour before they're due so that I'm like, great, you have this deadline. You're going to make some really quick choices and you're not going to obsess over it. And it's going to be good. It's going to be just perfectly fine. And you're going to send it in and everything's going to be okay. Otherwise, it's so tempting to overthink it and get in your head and re-record a thousand takes that then you have to sift through and edit, which takes forever. So I just give myself a time limit and try to really crank that out and make it simple and trust myself. It's about trusting yourself too. So that's kind of what I do. I'll start my morning doing auditions and then I think I'll move into more admin stuff. That's it. I think a component of acting that is often left out in our education consistently within drama schools is that we forget that it's a business. We talk a lot about craft, but we don't talk a lot about business. And I think every actor would benefit from taking a business 101. More and more now, I am redefining myself, not as an actor, but as an entrepreneur. I'm a creative. So there's a lot of different things that I do as a part of my business um, that fall under that umbrella. I'm not defined by any one thing. And it allows me to be a lot more expansive. And it allows me also to find other avenues to explore my creativity and not be so dependent on this one thing to define me. That in fact, I am a vast multitude of things going on at once. So I can hear a 10,000 no's or I can not hear anything at all after I audition, which is more often the case. You just hear silence. Um, and I can do that because I know that my value is so much more than the things that I achieve 
in this one pocket of what I do. So I do a lot of that business admin stuff. I prep my social media posts. I create the content. I schedule it out. I set up meetings with all the people that are on my team, agents, um, PR, lawyers, um, things, people of that ilk. And I guess that why I can't think of anything else. So I guess that's it. Remember to feed yourself. That's a big one. I forget to do that. So remembering to feed myself and nourish my body. Actors, your body is your tool. It's your instrument. And I am definitely a proponent of not taking care of myself. So do as I say, not as I do, I think. <laughs> but it's hard. It's yeah, hard. And, then find, and finding things that are good for you. I think it's also easy to forget that acting is dependent on life. So if you're not out there having life experiences, you don't have anything to pull in to the work with you when you go and do the job. So, and that also is what helps sustain you in the career. You're more than what you do. Make yourself more than what you do. Fulfill yourself outside of just this. That's great. Um, but you've already answered the last question about advice. Uh, you oh. to, but that's okay. Before we get to that, I'm ho hoping you can talk about kind of the main challenges and the main rewards of the kind of work that you do. I think the main challenge that I didn't expect was that it's a lot of solo work. You spend a lot of time alone. And I think a lot of us, especially if you come from a theater background, you're used to working really collectively. And voiceover specifically, a lot of what I do is alone in the booth. I'm self-directing. I'm the recording engineer. I'm the editor. I am all of the different things at once. And then you send these things out into the ether and you maybe hear back. Sometimes you don't. Even when you book the job, oftentimes it's just you in the booth and maybe your voice director or somebody else on the other side of the screen, but you're still separated by a glass <laughs> window. You're not even with your other castmates. A lot of the times, the only information that I have is about my character. I don't even have the other character's lines in front of me. So I'm reliant upon the people that I'm working with to fill in those gaps and provide me with the big picture that I don't have personally. So it's a lot of working alone. So that's why it's really important to build up your self-resilience and, and then also find the ways that to work collaboratively. When you're in the booth, that's why I always like when I book a job, so often people record from home, but I love going in just so I can meet somebody and have that face-to-face -face interaction and make that feel really special for me. Uh, so I think that was the, the new thing that I was like, oh, okay. Even with on-camera stuff, if you're attempting to do on-camera self-taping, you're working individually. You're going to find your reader. You're going to do all that, but you're wearing all the hats. You are the, the cinematographer, the makeup artist, the costume designer, the editor, all of those things. That's, that's who you are. And so that's a part of your business and you need to be building up those skills as well. I think too, the other thing is even when you book the job, at least within video games and to a lesser degree voiceover, video games are very protective of their information. Everything is under NDA. When I was auditioning for Resident Evil, I had no idea that it was Resident Evil. Every aspect of the audition breakdown was fake. The character name, the sides that I auditioned with, everything. So 
Often you don't know what it is that you've booked until you arrive on the day, or you don't know what you're going to work on in the volume. If you're just doing a mocap session, you'll show up and then they'll tell you, okay, we've got to do some like creature work of this, this or that, or, okay, we're working on a scene today. That's, um, I don't know what it is. So you have to have put in your 10,000 hours in advance so that you can arrive on sets like that and into experiences like that, ready to work and able to be flexible and be versatile and able to handle anything that they throw at you. The work is really the advanced work. It's not like I'm able to sit. I very rarely am able to sit down with a script and prepare it in advance. Like we would do so meticulously with theater or in college. I don't have that luxury anymore. So I have to train myself to be really quick, to make fast, smart choices based on the information that I have, but also not to be precious around my choices because I don't have all the information. So maybe I thought it was going to be one thing, but then I come in and they're like, actually, it's this. And then I have to be able to make that switch and make that change. So being versatile, being able to make change, taking direction, you're not the biggest person in the room. You know, you have to be of service to this character, to this story. So I like working on video games because I think you do kind of have to check your ego at the door. Also, you're wearing these really strange suits that just make everyone look silly. So there's no room for ego. You look like a goofball. You're going to be doing silly stuff. And it's not about you. It's about the character. So yeah, there's that. Great. And and what is most rewarding, you, you know, setting aside the fact that you played an iconic character that really took off if even despite that what do you find kind of rewarding about video game and voiceover work i love how collaborative it feels and it feels really liberating as well i think in so many other aspects of the industry it's so easy to be defined by how you look and that's not the case with voiceover and it's not the case with video games. You can look like anything because the characters don't have to look exactly like you. So I found it to be quite liberating to have that freedom to play a wide range of different characters. I can be a creature one day and then I can be a queen or a villain or a squirrel the next day. So I'm really not limited by how I look. And especially I think, um, my height was often a barrier for me. I have this mature speaking voice, but I, I had it at a young age. So, you know, a 20 something year old talking like this, people didn't know where to put me at first. And so moving into this industry allowed me to play all of the roles that I'm going to age into later down in my life. When I'm 50 years old, hell yeah, I'll come for all the leading lady, um, <laughs> dramatic <laughs> mothers. I don't know queens, blah, blah, blah. But I can play them now. I don't have to wait. So it offers me a lot of freedom in that sense. So that's a big reward. Working with the community that is in video games is another huge reward. As I said, they're all huge fans themselves. They're all excited about what everyone else is doing. And so it feels very communal and it feels very inspiring in that sense. It doesn't have quite the same flavor of perhaps competition that other areas of of acting can have. And I feel that reflected both within the dev teams and on the side of the performers as well, that we're way more willing to share our resources and share information 
and help each other out. That was something I was very grateful for is that I was new into the scene. And the second people heard I was new, they were like, oh, great. Well, here's how this works. Let me put you in touch with this person. Let me do this, this, and that. Let me know if you need help, reach out anytime. And I just felt that sense of welcome so clearly when I was coming into all of this. And I'm very grateful for that. And to kind of wrap up, I would like you to kind of reiterate any guidance or advice you would give to someone who's interested in doing the kind of work that you do. Advice that I would give for someone who is entering into the acting world in any capacity. Oh, a tough one, because there's so many potential things that I could say. I think do the self-work so that your worth is not dependent on what you book. You are more than your job. I think that's such a hard lesson to learn, and I'm still learning it. But the more you can do that, the more you will approach these opportunities from a position of power. You don't need them. They need you. You're providing their solution. So allow that to help you, I guess, and and suffer through all the no's. You're going to face a lot of obstacles. You're going to hear a lot of no's. And that's going to be the thing that gives you the strength and the resilience to do that and sustain it for long periods of time. This is going to be a marathon, not a sprint. And I think there's a misconception that it's not going to stop. It's always going to be there. So there's no level of success that you will reach where that will no longer be a thing that you are contending with. I've reached a level of success that many on the outside would deem to be the pinnacle of what we try to achieve. I'm still auditioning. I'm still hearing no's. I'm still booking not even nearly all of the things that I auditioned for. I've booked one thing this year that was a video game. So you're still hustling. And every time you level up, there's another level that you have to level up. There's always, the goalpost is always shifting. So you're always trying to level up. And then every time you level up, you have to really up your game because now you're competing with people who are a level up from where you were. So it's never going to stop being a hustle. So you really have to figure out a way to maintain that. It's not going away and it's not getting easier. doesn't mean it's not going to also provide lots of value, but you have to have that internal strength. And I think a lot of acting in general is about doing a lot of self-work and knowing who you are. And ultimately, the more you know about yourself and the more that you can offer things that are unique and special about you, the more successful you will, you will become. So stop trying to be like everybody else and find the things that are what you can offer that nobody else can offer. And ultimately, that's what's going to make you the most successful and the most universal in your appeal, ironically, paradoxically. Yeah, the things that are unique about me are the things that allowed me to book the job that changed my life. So that's that. And invest in business, treat it as a business. Don't be a starving actor. Don't use as a don't use that as an excuse. Do the work, learn business. You're an entrepreneur. Shift that mindset and you will do a lot better. And invest, I think, in opportunities for your side hustles because you'll have them you'll need them. I think I stretched myself too thin because I was preoccupied with this idea that I think a lot of us have where you have to be constantly available for acting work at any given moment. But the truth is when you're entering into the industry, 
you are not at a place in your career where that's really an issue for you, especially now as so many things have moved virtual, you can record auditions. You can record those self tapes in your off hours after you get off work. You don't have to be so available all the time. And as a result, I think I worked a lot of jobs that were menial jobs that paid me minimum wage. But then as a result, they were quote unquote flexible, like catering jobs or restaurant work. And so they were flexible, quote unquote, but they didn't pay me enough. So then I had to work five of those different jobs in order to sustain myself. And then I was exhausted from juggling schedules of those five different jobs and wearing myself down that then when I got off work, I didn't have the energy to then put into my career, to put into the thing that I'm here to do. And I didn't have the money because I'm driving all over the place. I'm I'm just wearing myself out and all the places you're going to live to to pursue this professionally are expensive. I would have much rather, I would have looking back, preferred that I had invested my time and energy into one job that could have paid me enough to then put that money back into my career. We are the developers of our own career. It used to be studios that did that for us, but they don't do that anymore. So you have to have money. <laughs> you have to be able to invest in your business and get yourself materials, quality materials and take classes and do all of that. And so really make sure you're financially set up. I think that would be the priority for me. If you can find a way, find a way to make money and then you build your career outside of that. You'll need the money in order to build your career. This episode of 2400 Chew was produced by the Office of Alumni Affairs at Muhlenberg College. It was recorded remotely and engineered in the studios of WMUH Allentown, Pennsylvania. Our opening and closing music from Cowboy Bebop is performed by the Muhlenberg College Jazz Big Band. <laughs>